Hey everybody, welcome to Lunchtime Live. We're well, we're glad to welcome Tracy Smith today. I'll introduce her in a second, but I just want to say happy Friday. Uh, although, you know, to be honest, there is a lot going on in the world that makes this Friday not feel all that happy. Um, there's a lot of things happening and a lot of uh, things that need our prayers. I've lit a candle today uh, next to me to keep us um, in mind of uh, the people in the world who, you know, woke up two nights ago, three nights ago to bombing in their country. And they really didn't want that. And people all over the world who are suffering in different ways. So yeah. we're going to think about them as we uh, enter into this season. We're coming upon fast the season of Lent. So I wanted to invite my friend, uh, Tracy Smith, who is an author, a pastor, uh, a mom of three, and uh, a wonderful writer of children's books. Welcome, Tracy Smith. Today. Oh, thank you. It's so fun to be here. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Uh, we try to start every conversation at least a little bit by talking about, hey, it's lunchtime live. What's for lunch? <laughs> What's for lunch at your house today? Yeah, I haven't had lunch yet. I have an appointment after this. So when I when you said you were going to ask that question, I was like, that's daring me to go get my favorite lunch, which is at a place called Carito, which has these burrito bowls. And there's a mas uh, chicken tikka masala bowl. It's so Ooh. good. It's like, yeah, Delicious. That might be for lunch, if I'm lucky. <laughs> well, my favorite lunch, I've already said, you know, several weeks in a row is leftovers. <laughs> I love leftovers. <laughs> so I'm, I'm planning to have uh, some leftover Greek food for lunch today. Um, but I thought as long as we're like coming really fast upon Lent here, maybe it'd be fun to talk for just a minute about what, if anything, you're cooking for, um, for the night that Mardi Gras ends before Ash Wednesday. Uh, usually in many churches, it's called Pancake Tuesday. Have you got plans for Pancake Tuesday? So maybe. Our, I have a meeting that night, but in my book, Faithful Families for Lent and Easter, which we're going to talk about, I did put the a Tuesday practice in there. And I think, you know, the kind of history of that is that you cook with simple ingredients, the eggs, the flour, the milk, mm -hmm. and then you have these simple pancakes. But then the Mardi Gras thing and the whole thing of like abstaining before you're or like gorging before you're going to abstain. I don't really get into that part of it because I think it could be a little dicey with kids. But just the idea of having pancakes for dinner every year as a tradition, I do kind of love it. So in my house, we'll have to do gluten free pancakes and regular ones. But especially since we're talking about this, I'm thinking it's likely yeah. that pancakes are on the menu for Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That sounds like a good idea. We we do it often. And, and when my church was meeting in person, uh, we would do, we would literally kind of put them side to side. We'd do pancakes for supper on Wednesday night, and then we'd go up to the sanctuary and we would have our Ash Wednesday service. Oh, so that's a great idea. Because our folks live so far, you know, apart that getting together twice was not going to happen. It was going to work. Yeah. Really lovely to do it that way. And, and the kids, of course, love it. And, uh, and yeah, I agree with you. No gorging is necessary <laughs> to enjoy uh, that time. Well, I, I want to um, tell you a folks who are watching just a little bit more um, about Tracy and just, uh, you know, remind them that she has been um, creating uh, books for children and their families to uh, give a progressive Christian view on how we nurture faith in our children 
and how we support them through each season. And this, this is now coming. This is like your fourth book in this series, yeah. uh, the faithful families for Lent and Easter. And I'm just excited that you're here to talk about that. Let, let me ask, how did you get started on this series? Like what, what made you think you wanted to write these books for children and their families? Well, it didn't, it didn't start as a series, right? Like a, a lot of, uh, career things don't start out that way. It started with the very first book and a book of faith practices. And I tell the story in the beginning of that book about when my son Clayton was a baby, I was on maternity leave and I had been involved in Christian education and youth ministry uh, and had that as a focus. But when my son Clayton was a baby, I really was thinking, okay, you know, these things that I do as a pastor, how would I do them at home? And when he was sick, I did a little anointing on his forehead, like I would do of an adult in a, in the hospital. And it, it got me thinking about faith practices. And I started reading about it and researching it and writing them down. And originally it was going to be just a series on my blog and turned into a book. And then it turned into connecting with other people who do this and a passion and for learning. And so then the other then prayers came out of it, and then the other seasonal ones came out of it. So it came out of this kind of winding journey and has become my area of professional focus now. Like I uh, talk about cross-generational ministry and faith at home and equipping, but it was not something that I set out to do as the spirit had it in mind, but it was mm -hmm. a a journey that I kind of entered into. And I don't know what's next for it. People keep asking me, there is a little prayer book coming out next. That's the next project. I don't know if the Faithful Family series, what will happen to it, uh, because okay. I, I always want it to be authentic. I don't want to be like Faithful Families for Valentine's Day. If they, you know, like <laughs> Faithful Families, you know, for a rich, I mean, Yeah. I do appreciate the fact I was a, a children's and youth minister for five and a half years. And I really appreciate the fact that you're thinking about these questions and giving language that I was always trying to help my own congregation have the language to speak to children about these important issues. And it's it's a it doesn't come easily for everyone to do that. So you by writing these books are just giving us really great uh, language. And um, I put the I put the book up there because I mean this, this one it's this way, right? <laughs> um, but I want people to really get a look at this. This is um, for Lent and Easter and Resurrection, uh, something that we talk about. Three Minute Ministry Mentor: The Challenges of Talking About Resurrection in Our Day and Time. Mm -hmm. And uh, you've really tackled some great and challenging topics in this because this is both the heart of our faith and also some of the hardest material that we try to introduce to children. Um, would you say a little bit more about uh, what, what approach you take to try to introduce these really difficult uh, and challenging topics to children? Sure. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this Lent Easter book uh, was to sort of tackle the theological underpinnings for kids. So one of my core beliefs about this work is that when we're speaking to children and we're saying very simple things, there's often, uh, whether we re recognize it or think about it or, or not, there's this deep theological tradition and a lot of profound kind of scaffolding. So if we say Jesus died for your sins, it sounds really simple. It sounds like something a kid could grasp, but what does that mean? What does that mean to a kid? It's a huge statement. 
So I wanted to give very practical ideas for how to do faith at home or in the church with kids and families around these topics, but that were very, there's a lot of research and thought underneath them. So I think the biggest principle that I would say is um, simplicity. Mm-hmm. And then I guess in, from my perspective, the pers- progressive perspective is to maybe don't, uh, maybe to think critically about some of the things that we've, mm-hmm. we just say all the time in the season, like Jesus died for your sins mm-hmm. or like you are washed in the blood or something like that. You know, what is that? What does that mean? So yeah. What do you hope parents who read your book will be inspired to do uh, with these practices? Yeah, I mean, I hope they'll be inspired to read, to feel confident to tackle them and to maybe reimagine them. You know, uh, there's an entire chapter about symbols. So mm-hmm. chapter six is about symbols. And I think, you know, if you're going to Google uh, Lenten clip art or something like that, the symbols that we generally see and that end up in church bulletins end up all around, even in children's materials are like the crown of thorns, nails, whip, you know, this, the implements of Jesus's torture, right? Which did happen. It's factual, but why, why are those, that part of the story, which is just a part of the story. Why is there such a skewed emphasis on it. And so I think then it becomes like, well, we don't want to talk about this at all. And then that's, that, becomes a culture of, well, we don't talk about that. My daughter was just quoting from Encanto. We don't talk about Bruno, right? Like <laughs> we don't talk about that. So I hope that students or parents feel, they read it and they feel like, okay, I can hand, I can do this. I know what, what to do. I know how to talk about it. I know yeah. which practices we might consider and which symbols to use that don't sweep death under the rug and provide an opportunity to talk about it, but don't focus on the unnecessary uh, gory, violent details, especially yeah. when children are smaller. Yeah. Thank you for that. I love that you're trying to strike a really thoughtful balance between mm-hmm. telling the story for what it is, but not, as you say in the book, you're not wanting to bring in concepts about death and violence and torture that are premature for children, especially who are small and have not, don't have the critical thinking skills to mm-hmm think through that. The other thing I love about what you say is you give p- parents permission to to do this not so well. Just yes. give it a try. Try when you can. What what right. sort of helps you name that uh, permission uh, for parents in the, in the My book? own experience as a parent, first and foremost, but then I work with a lot of ministry leaders who are parents. Mm. And one of the things that I think that they struggle with, that we struggle with, is we are in the pulpits or the examples. And a lot of times we feel like, oh, we're the cobblers. Our kids are the cobblers, kids with no shoes, right? Like if we're, if we're parents, if we're pastors and we're trying to do prayer time and then the kids are talking about farts, you know, like there's no hope for our congregation, but that's really the opposite, right? It's if you can share that that's how it goes, even in your family, then people realize like, oh, this is how it is, right? And realizing that the sacred and what is holy does not necessarily, it doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean clean. It doesn't mean uh, somber, right? There's lots of laughter in kids, lots of movement with kids. So we have to sort of redefine what we mean when we say we're trying to create sacred or holy moments at home 
it can be holy and we got to roll with those punches sometimes. And there's a, a tremendous payoff when you do. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It's so helpful. And um, it, it makes me think also about, you know, the, the chaos of the, of raising three children at once. But then on top of that, the pandemic of the last two years, yeah. you've, you've written books while having children at home and all the, the changes that have happened to church life and just life. <laughs> in general. And I wonder if you would talk to us with your author hat on for a moment, like sure. what's it been like to write uh, during the pandemic? How have you gotten through I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to sugarcoat it at all. I mean, I wrote my uh, Christmas book during the shutdown time of pandemic and it was absolutely brutal. I had a complete crisis of confidence about the whole thing. I wanted to pull it um, as a book, I wanted to not uh, not even uh, publish it. And the publisher had to kind of talk me off of the ledge. So it was hard. And one of the things that I found, and I don't remember if it was during the shutdown time or shortly after that, but I did. That's how this is how we became uh, friends, because you yeah. run a writing table that I found about. And it's the I don't want to steal your thunder and tell people about it, but the well, way that it's structured uses a, 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 a the Pomodoro method, which is writing for or doing something for a chunk, taking a short break, doing it again. And that's a method that I have used for lots of things in my life. I use a variation of it with my kids when it's time to clean up the house. We set a timer for 20 minutes and then we clean up and then we're done. So I was really intrigued by this, the format of your group. And yeah. that helped me to write this Lent and Easter book. And in fact, your the writing tables in the acknowledgments of this book, because it was, this book was written almost exclusively during those writing table times, which is kind of remarkable if you think about it. I don't think if somebody had asked me, like, do you think you'd be able to write your Lenten Easter book in uh, one hour, you know, two Pomodoros, which is basically an hour, four times a week for a couple months, I would have said, no, that's not going to be enough time. And it really, that's how I wrote the entire book. So yeah, that makes my heart so happy. So a little more about the writing table. Uh, those of you who are interested in watching this, um, we we I gather with pastors, professors, um, writers, uh, people who write poetry, people who write books, who write their dissertations. Uh, it doesn't matter what you're writing. Uh, we gather um, usually about four mornings a week for an hour, a little plus, um, and we write in those Pomodoros Tracy's telling everyone about, and uh, people accomplish some amazing things. And, and people also struggle every day. And part of the, the overcoming that struggle is to show up in the, in the time. Yes. Collaboratively writing with other people also in the room is really a tremendous gift. So thanks for saying what that's done to help you. Yes. And I was just looking up on my phone. So I saw that they put the tomato timer uh, link on there. There's another app. It's called Focus Keeper. And it's a Pomodoro timekeeping app um, that mm -hmm. I have started to use. And my friend Jennifer Grant, who's an author friend, she started using it too. It's another Pomodoro app. It's I think it's a one time five dollar thing to get it customizable. And that has been helping, too. So I use it. I think the beauty of the writing table, though, you know, I do Pomodoro on my own. It's it can be easy to get off track, even yep. if you have your own timer. There is something about sitting with other people and maybe it's my personality, too. I mean, I've used Focus Mates, too, which is a, 
another way yeah. to do that. It's kind of random though, because you're doing it with strangers. <laughs> you know, you just get paired up with some random person okay. and um, and it works fine, but it's not as comfy as going with people that you kind of know, friends. Yeah. Friends. Yeah. A really nice community has developed. And I think one of the I think one of the greatest gifts of the way we've been doing this, honestly, for all of us, is that we take just five or seven minutes at the end and we share strategies, what's working. And when one person hears what's working for another person, it's like, oh, yeah, I could do that. That would be really helpful. Or just the commiseration of, oh, gosh, yeah, I remember how that doesn't work. So, right. yeah, this, yeah, it's been really lovely. And I'm so glad that we've, we've gotten to know each other during yes, that time. Thank you for hosting it. It's a beautiful yeah. gift you offer. Yeah. Well, I'm also wondering about during this pandemic time, um, what it's been like for you as a mom and a pastor, just to live through the losses and the grief and the, the really tremendous challenges to your life during this time. How have you gotten through? You know, so for me, it's been tough. So for me, I had a delayed sort of a delayed reaction. And I think that's true of mm. a lot of ministry leaders, mm. the people that I'm working with, you know, the beginning it happens, we went into crisis mode. A lot of us, I'd done disaster response in Texas before. Mm. And so I knew what it was to lead through a disaster. So it's like, we got to get online. We got to do this. I got to comfort the people. My people are texting me at 3am, you know, worried that zombies are going to come, you know, so it's like, I'm doing this, right. Doing yeah. the thing and getting it all done. And then you put it all online, do the thing. And then after a year, you know, a year of it, we're school at home, writing the book, doing the thing. And so then it's like, then when you start getting around into the second year, mm-hmm. I started to suffer a little bit and feel like, I think the hardest thing, and I'm just now realizing this, that it really messed with my brain and my sense of pastoral call to Mm. be preaching to a phone for over a year, right? You realize in an empty building and Mm. I, you know, I felt good about what I was putting out. I know that my people watched it and engaged with it, but it just felt so lonely and I didn't feel that loneliness. And so I've been starting to like, think about that and journal about it and talk about it. And then we're still not over it. We're coming back, but people are masked. It's not, everybody's not back. Where did they go? So I do think for all of my people, ministry leader people, if you're feeling like, why am I not, why am I struggling so hard now? It's getting better to give, you're all about permission. I know that's one of your big things, you know, permission to grieve, permission to feel the Mm -hmm. loss still. And to think like, Wow, that was really sad. That was really a sad, hard thing that I did. And I like put on my big girl pants and did it, but it was hard. And, you know, for my kids too, you know, they were doing, I was like putting on a happy face for them all the time. Mm-hmm. And that was mm-hmm. so sad what they had to go through. And yeah. and my kids are, are, all of our kids are so resilient, but yeah. I've been trying to take some space with the kids too, to talk about that. Like, wasn't that sad and hard? Look what you did and you accomplished, you know, so that they don't feel like, I guess it was normal, (laughs) you know, I don't know. Right, right. We don't really want them to think that what, right, was just beyond, I mean, but for small children, it's what they know. That's complicated. Well, it's built on the permission giving just a little bit. Uh, Mm -hmm. We wanted to know which things, you know, we've, we got a whole bunch of things we're trying to help people 
take permission, give permission to themselves. They, they have permission. We just want to encourage it uh, and wonder which one of those is really like you talked to me earlier about this. So I know which, which permission you would usually give yourself or which permission you feel like you need to give yourself. <laughs> yeah. So we talked about this like offline and what I said about it is there's a permission to dream on there and I'm a huge dreamer. And so that's the permission. Like if I was going to give it out to people, that's the one I would give them give yourself permission to dream. And I sometimes need that permission if I'm feeling cynical or overwhelmed sure. to still be a dreamer. But the one I think that I need the most is the permission to cry mm-hmm. because I, I am so like, just what's next? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? Always dreaming. And sometimes it's, if it, if you don't do that, I've learned <laughs> it will bubble out of you anyway. So to set aside that time and just say, I'm going to have a pity party or turn on a sad movie or think yeah. through these things. It's so important. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for that. I, as you were talking, it was really resonating. I've, I've interviewed um, in the past year, well, 18 months as a part of several different projects. I've interviewed over a hundred pastors and I've surveyed over a hundred and, uh, they're not identical lists, but overlapping lists of people. And and what you're saying about the losses and it coming kind of later, being in crisis mode, yeah. really a gift uh, to the congregations you were leading. And then your own crisis comes a little later. And I think it's, I'm writing a report about this, and I think it's really important to recognize that, that ministry is embodied and relational and emotional and integrative. And when we are split apart, we, from people, we lack, we suffer in all of those areas. And it's kind of tacit. We don't talk about those areas of our ministry practice so much. We talk about the content of what we're doing or the text of what we're reading or, you know, these are the everyday connections with people. And that's what went missing and is still missing for many of us. And it Mm -hmm. does need space to be grieved so that we don't get stuck there. Yeah. I mean, we as pastors uh, and we anoint people, we touch them, we pray with them, just the inability to go see people in the hospital, just those visits that were so short, you know, it was so hard for them, but it was also hard for us, like a a healer who can't heal. Right. And to pray, you know, praying with people over the phone. I have some screenshots of some FaceTimes I did with some of my elderly members in those hard times and i feel like it was the best we can do but there there was a loss there right yeah for sure and naming that acknowledging it and finding ways to grieve it lament uh and cry out so that we can move towards some kind of um healing or redemption of those moments so no there's no going back there's no return but there is moving into the next thing with more wholeness and more healing. So I appreciate you talking about your own experience. It helps all of us. Thanks. Well, I want to, we're at this moment uh, when this, uh, here we are just days from Lent. I can't really believe that. I don't even want to say it out loud. We're almost to Lent. How did that happen? Um, As I used to say, when I was serving a congregation, like, what? Jesus was just in diapers. How's you he just, we just got that baby born. Desert now, you know. So, uh, but here we are. It is that time of year. And this is what I really wanted to bring you on talk about this book. 
And uh, I'm wondering if you would read a little something uh, to us from the book about Ash Wednesday. Yes, so Ash Wednesday is coming up. It's this Wednesday, right? So I did, uh, I have a few prayers for Ash Wednesday. I'm just going to read the kind of first one. And it says this, um, on this day of ashes, we remember where we came from. The Bible tells us we came from the dust of the ground. Science tells us we came from the stuff of stars. May we believe in the mystery of both. We came from dust and from stardust. We are both. At the end of our lives, all living things return to the earth, including us. Our spirits belong to God, now and forever. Amen. Thank you, Tracy. That's beautiful. I love the idea of stardust being in our every cell and every molecule of who we are. Um, I don't know who, who, uh, which theologian we can credit with kind of talking about that first, right? It certainly was not me. I've heard it a lot recently. Um, but who, who made that connection first for us? I don't know, but I, love yeah, it. there were quite a few people. And I think uh, I kind of want to say, uh, one of the early people was Matthew Fox, but, um, mm -hmm. like, it, it does, uh, it takes us into our connections with the whole universe, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is really helpful to remember. We're going to enter into a time of lament and, yeah. uh, and uh, I don't know. I, I, I say that I don't know because it feels hard right now to think about what the right practices for Lent are. Mm -hmm. It felt hard two years ago. It felt yeah. hard last year. It's feeling hard this year. Mm -hmm. uh, and I wonder if you talk to us a minute about what practices you are helping children and families mm -hmm. think about experience in the book, just a few of the things that sure. recommend uh, so that, so that families have a way of being together with their children through this season or churches. I mean, churches can use your book, not just sure. family. Yeah, they do. And they, they Absolutely. definitely do. I think the first thing I would say about that, which is one of my soapbox things about all my books is that you're, they're meant for you to pick no more than five, right? I mean, for a Lenten practice, just pick one, right? It's so I think of the books like kind of like cookbooks or recipe books, you know, you're not meant mm -hmm. to work your way through absolutely everything and do it. You, you go through and you think like, what sounds good? What would my family like? What would I like? And to have a spirit of play with it and experimentation. So the one, you know, you can pick any Lenten practice and I haven't even decided what I'm going to do for my own Lenten practices here for my family. Um, but the one that we do at home all the time as a practice that will continue during Lent is the practice of gratitude. It's mm. one of my, it's a very, if there is a faithful, <laughs> maybe there might be a faithful family's gratitude. I don't know, but that's one that I would dig into a lot more because of the science around the research around it. But um, so to take, you know, in our family, we have one of those butcher papers that's on the wall that you just roll down and pull oh, and yeah. we write our gratitudes on it once a week. And, there, you know, we did it on Sunday, Saturday morning breakfast for a while, but then this breakfast got kind of messed up for a variety of reasons. And it, so there was a couple of weeks that we took off. And one of the sweet things about it is one day I just walked by and somebody had written a bunch of things. And one of my sons was like, you know, we hadn't done that in a while. So I just did it by myself. He was kind of like, and I, I loved that so much because it was a reminder of what we're talking about, right? Like, uh, you know, the perfection of it and we, we get off and we get back on track, 
but it was deeply rooted enough in him that he was like, I saw that this hadn't been done. I just decided add to the list. Right. And then we got back on track and we um, have been doing it during uh, sometimes during Saturday mornings when we have them or other times throughout the week. And if we skip a week, we don't stress about it. Right. So gratitude is one. And then I guess the other that I'm really thinking about is uh, anything related to being outside and nature. So just really briefly, the chapter, instead of talking about fasting, I talk about simplifying for a variety of reasons that we won't get into, but instead of taking something away, what can you add? So outside time is something that you can add. And when you're going outside, you're automatically not, hopefully not on your screens, which is something that our family tries to work on is limiting that screen time. So a good Lenten practice might just be how many more minutes can I do outside? You know, 10 minutes, five minutes, two minutes. Um, as I say that, I'm like, maybe that's going to be my long practice. I've just decided <laughs> to break that off my list. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, that is one of our favorite uh, uh, permission slips is oh. permission to go outside. Uh, yes. <laughs> because we can get, you know, when so much of our life and our world is happening on the screen, we have to remind ourselves, get outside. <laughs> Tail outside. Yes. Right. Kids and adults alike. So, um yeah, I'm I'm so glad to hear that about that maybe being the practice. We're also looking this year to introduce, I just want to throw it in right here because it fits so well. We're inviting pastors to um and ministers, chaplains, everybody to think about joining us in Lent this year to do picturing pastoral imagination. Uh, because we think we know, uh, my research says <laughs> that ministry is a spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. And so we have put together a way for people to honor that spiritual practice that they are living in every day mm -hmm. by sharing some photos about it. And it doesn't have to be anything fancy. It doesn't have to be like selfies every day. Yes. <laughs> We're interested in like, just you're doing your work, just lift your camera, take a picture of yeah. what that work is mm -hmm. and share it so that the world starts to see how beautiful the practice of ministry is. And it is a spiritual practice to engage in it. It's not just a job you go to every day. It yeah. feeds your soul and the souls of other people mm -hmm. to attend to that practice. And so we're just going to invite people and no pressure. It's not a you have to do it every day or you can't participate any one day or however many times you want to share a picture. Yeah, I think that's, you know, what that makes me think of is the fact that I think in ministry, there's a lot of, there's a lot of perspectives that we have that th there's a burden there, right? Things that we have to bear that our congregations do not, but there's also beauty too. And like the image I think of is on Christmas Eve, the pastor sits in the front and if the light is being shared, you get to see everybody's candles in a way that you don't see if you're sitting in them, you know, and I, I'm sure that all of your people that follow you and watch you have this experience of seeing beauty in your sanctuaries that nobody else sees because, you know, the light comes in at a certain time of day and you're in there cleaning up and you're like, wow. So that's a, that's a really creative uh, idea. And I love it. Yeah. yeah. Well, we we hope that that folks will uh, find it nourishing to their yeah. own souls. And again, instead of adding something to do or taking away something that you maybe uh, love, let, let's just honor what we're doing in our practice every day and yeah. share it with each other. So that's our uh, offering this year. We'll 
we'll see how that goes. And uh, I'll show that just one more time. People can um, check out the website and learn more and download a PDF to see how to do that. Yeah. So um, I like to close two things before we close. One, you have a wonderful gift that you offer to your followers every week. And we want to hear a little bit more about the Tuesday treasure box. So I'm going to put it up there and you tell us about it. Yes. So that's my email list. It's the primary way that I like to connect with my people that want to learn more about what I do. And what it is, is a weekly email. It comes out on Tuesdays and it's just five links that are related usually to faith and family ministries. But sometimes I put in just random funny things. I found a funny video this morning that I'm like, oh, this is going in the treasure box. So a lot of people love it, uh, particularly if you're interested in faith and family ministry, I would encourage you to go to the website and sign up for it and unsubscribe if it's not helpful. But um, We want folks to sign up for the treasure box. It sounds like it's good stuff, whether you are working directly with children or working in ministry, either or both, it, you've got gifts in there for everybody. Yes, little goodies. <laughs> Exciting. Okay. Um, and we want to, uh, I like to close uh, each interview by asking my guests uh, to tell us some questions you live by. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you will tell me some of the uh, questions that you are living by these days. I love it. And I love that you said these days, because when I, you sort of said, you're going to end with this question, I was thinking about it and I was thinking like, well, what are the questions I live by that feels like really heavy, right? Like, but then I was thinking, maybe I'm just going to talk about the ones that are guiding me right now. And one of the questions that's guiding me right now. So I, I just really love the uh, importance of having mentors in your life. You know, people that are older than you, people that have done, I'm sure you talk about this all the time, like ministry mentors too. And my, some of my mentors, and in fact, I don't have as many ministry mentors as I do mentors that are in other disciplines. And one of the things I've noticed about them is their ability and their resilience and their encouragement to move on from mistakes and not just to forget about them, but to mm -hmm. learn from them and not sit in them. Right. So I think one of the questions I'm learning from right now is uh, how to learn from this, how to grow from this, you know, this, there's just some bobbles recently in my ministry things where I've been like, Oh, this didn't go the way I wanted it to this particular meeting or conversation or a uh, plan that I had. And my mentors are just constantly not like get over it, but how can you learn from this and move on? Can you turn it? One of them talks about, you know, turning into compost, you know, put it in the compost pile yeah, <laughs> and then yeah. it will turn into this earth that something new will grow. And then, so that's one. And then the other one always helpful for family life and ministry is how can I help make the world a better place? You know, how can I make a positive mm -hmm. impact for others? Yeah. Because that also will get you out of any sort of spiraling you're doing about your own effectiveness, right? Like, well, maybe, maybe this didn't, go well in this book or interview or whatever, but did I, did I make somebody's life better? Right. Did I give food to the hungry or clothes right. to the naked? Right. And so those are the two. Those are beautiful questions. And um, they really resonate with what we do uh, in three minute ministry mentor about learning from failure uh, and about 
asking what our purpose is and not getting caught up in, am I doing it right? That's a normal beginner question. We all have to ask in the beginning, but eventually we want to be asking what's needed right before me. So you've asked the, those questions and you're living by them in beautiful ways. Thank you Thank so you. much. For Thank you. Ellen. Thank you for inviting me. This is so fun. Yeah. You're a very good host, a gracious host. <laughs> I love being a host. I want to end with my question for our uh, readers and followers this week. And that's the question of how will I attend to my spiritual practice in Lent this year? Uh, we have given you a bunch of ideas today. Uh, both Tracy and I have shared possibilities for how to answer that question for kids in your church and in your family, for yourself as a minister or professor or pastor, leader, whatever your work is, uh, we're, we're inviting you into all kinds of uh, permission giving and um, also uh, honoring the practice that you're already living in. So that's a question that I want to leave you with today. We're going to continue to have interviews in the coming weeks. Uh, next week, we'll be welcoming Angela Parker uh, as our guest and the week after that, Dwayne Bidwell is going to be our guest, and I'm really excited about uh, introducing each of them and others coming later this spring. So stay tuned. Join us each week for Friday's uh, Lunchtime Live, and uh, thank you again, Tracy Smith, for being with us today. So grateful. Thank you. It's a joy.